Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. If you're not from Ireland, you may not know their names yet, but Niall McGrath and Tom Gannon are legends in consumer packaged goods. You know Fulfill Protein Chocolate Bars? Well, Tom and Niall were the founders. In the two and a half years that they founded, co-owned and ran this brand, they built it to 60 million euros in retail sales and ranking in the top five brands in Ireland. How did they do this? Well, they're the first to admit that they didn't just wing it. Instead, they're proud to have taken a systematic, strategic approach to brand building and almost geeky dedication to marketing strategies, traditional four P's. They even worked off a checklist of Byron Sharp's seven rules for brand growth. And in this episode, you're going to hear all about how they decided where they were going to play and how they were going to win. Tom and Niall are now on track to build their second global food brand to over 50 million euros in just three years. This time, a cross-category play rooted in the Californian approach to street food flavours and healthy living. But there's a massive unexpected twist in terms of how they've designed the business model that's going to make this happen. Listening to the episode while I edit it, I'm laughing at how my Irish accent comes out when I'm talking to these guys from back home, and I really enjoyed recording it. I hope you enjoy it too, and that you learned just as much as I did. Niall McGrath and Tom Gannon, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Thanks so much for joining me today. You guys look like you're in a shed at the back of the garden, a very fancy looking shed at the back of the garden. Is that right? Yeah, it's a, a log cabin that uh, has become our home over the last, I suppose, 14 or 15 months since uh, we entered this mad world of uh, COVID-19. I know. And you've both had your negative PCR test in the last 24 hours. So you're allowed to sit that close together. We're, we're all getting each other a whole care now and everything. <laughs> and you're looking, and I think you spend so much time together, the two of you, obviously, over the last, I think since 1999, you've worked together. Is that right? Yeah. That yeah. you're actually starting to look more alike as you get, you know, more kind of silvery grey, the silver grey foxes. Yeah. Like an old- Has anyone ever said that to you before? Yeah, well, I think as I started to go grey, Noel stopped doing his hair. So uh, that's maybe why we look more alike. So listen, for those of our listeners around the world who don't know you guys yet, these two guys are legends in Irish CPG, FMCG, the FMCG world in Ireland. They have built a brand, a protein chocolate bar brand to over 60 million euros in two and a half years, the two and a half years they were with that brand. And then they are now on a journey to build their second brand to over 50 million by the end of next year. And really, I wanted to talk to you about those, that the journey that you did with Fulfill and the journey that you're now on with Cali Cali. And yeah, just start at the beginning. I don't usually go into the whole founder story thing on Brand Growth Heroes because there's so many podcasts out there who do that really well. But I think it's really important that we start back 1999. You're two, you know, obviously very close mates. You've worked together for years Let's hear how this all happened. Yeah, yeah okay. go for it. Uh, so I came out of college, over to Australia for four years at Red Bull. Came back in 2003 and working with Richmond, the distributor of Red Bull. Went in there and worked my way up to marketing director. And this is in Dublin, is it? In Dublin, yeah. So worked with them and then, uh, yeah, myself and Tom got together. We're working on, came friends, going out as you do. And then it became such a couple of brands we were working on because it was a distribution company. One of them was a protein bar brand for Connecticut. We looked at it and we thought there's a real opportunity in this protein bar space to do something more than just selling to muscle bodybuilders. 
because it has great benefits that have broader appeal. And uh, we brought that idea. We worked out a whole concept. We broke down the four Ps, brought it to the board of uh, to their this dev manager who brought it to the board. And they looked at it and went, yeah, no thanks. And so myself and Tom were deflated. Yeah. We came out of the room and we shook hands and said, let's just do it ourselves. So you basically decided you're going to do it yourself. But how did you get the brand and the product worked out then? We started jumping on flights, going to trade shows. And uh, we ended up at a trade show in, in Cologne. And we were there and we were looking at a guy who could make similar bars to Quest. And we were kind of, they're called IMO bars. Anyway, can we get the benefits of that? The guy also made chocolate bars. And said, we get the benefits of that, but we get the chocolate bars that you make, but you weren't, don't have at this trade show. And he goes, I suppose so. So we went back, we went home, and then we started playing around. So we literally went out, bought a chomp bar, and we took the caramel which off that. in the UK, and a lot of people would know what a chomp bar is, but we grew up eating chomp bars, which yeah. is a chocolate. 10p chomp bars. Absolutely. 10p chomp bars, yeah. a beautiful caramel with chocolate, and then underneath the kind of base. And then um, we took the caramel off that. We took Rice Krispies and we mashed them in, and then we put chocolate on the top. And we said, right, and we wrapped it up in, in a like film. film, sent it off to the bar manufacturers. Look, can you make us that? Um, and with this spec deck. Okay. All the best of ingredients. So we asked for the super duper whey protein oh, and it. everything. Whey protein isolate, vegan, and it's like 2014, vegan, gluten free. And then, and then, and they go, yeah, we can make that. They're six quid a bar. Like, so mm. retail price, about 15 euros. So we, <laughs> we need to, to reposition. So we, um, but we, and then but from that, we developed our best selling bar, which was our um, peanut, caramel. peanut and caramel bar. And that we launched with that and three other bars in January of 2016. So January 2016, you launched. And what was your first customer? Our first customer was Circle K, okay. which would have been Topaz. Petrol stations. Yeah, petrol stations, which had a roughly around 147 stores. And then I suppose being in the industry for over 20 years, I built a lot of goodwill. A lot of, I suppose, work colleagues became more than work colleagues. And we took a step back and we, we said, how can we make this brand feel bigger? You know, getting into 4,000 distribution points. So we used a, a strategy called Heart and Veins. And within the hearts, you've got some really key influential retailers that would have high footfall in Dublin city centre, Cork, Galway and Belfast. So the likes of Seamus Griffin, Thomas Ennis, being, these are the legends in retail, got right behind us, supported us. So we got into roughly around 55 key retail stores and a four core channel. Overnight, the brand felt massive but we were only trading in about... So you decided, you said to yourselves, right, if we're going to launch this, we need to look really big. And we're going to do that by deciding exactly where we're going to play. Now, can I ask you a question? How did you decide what it was going to look like in store? Was that part of your strategy? You're looking oh, big 100%, strategy. 100%, 100%. Okay, so talk to everyone listening to this about what was it going to look like and what did it end up looking like? So you weren't just sitting like five skews somewhere on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we Okay, I'm going to take a step back. So... We used to do a piece of research every year with Red Bull. Overall, we spent about seven million quid in the Irish market. About a, about a million, million and a half of was at that stage was going on on advertising and events as well. All the big Red Bull events and about half a million was going on POS. And every year, 53% of our total pie of sources of awareness was POS. So we went, hang on a second, I'm ever going to own my own brand at the start the one thing I'm definitely going to invest money on is POS because not only is it drive awareness, but it's also a point of purchase and it's, yeah, it's, it's a there. shop it's within a shop. shop. 
Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So knowing that, and then we were also big fans of um, Byron Sharp, which I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners will listen to. And we would have taken his... Step by step. Uh, basically <laughs> his seven steps that he have in, in, in his book, How Brands Grow. And we literally had a checklist Did you? of seven things and, we, and yeah. we checked them off one by one by one. So there was really systematic, a really systematic kind of intellectual approach to this as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And to add to that, I suppose the key for us when 99% of brands go on point of sale or fixture, it's got to be on promotion. Yeah. And for us, that could not happen. We had to establish a price point because we were establishing in our eyes a new category, which was subcategory to confectionery. But if we'd fell into the world of being classified as confectionery bar, we would have needed to give confectionery margins. And unfortunately, when you've got a double the price of a chocolate bar, to give that percentage margin, it just wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Work. So in value terms, we were given a much higher value cash margin. But we launched at full price, which was absolutely key on EOS. So we would have paid for rate cards. And normally, as you submit in and on your rate cards, it's like, hey, we're at this price. Where for us, that was the key to launch this brand. So talk to me about, it's 2000 and what now? 14, is it? 2016. I'm a consumer. I'm a shopper. I walk into Circle K or some of those spa shops that you mentioned. Yeah. What do I see that first couple of months of launch and how much is it? Big yellow uh, five foot displays, full drop of bars. Which would have, I suppose, with the retailer as well. So when we created the point of sale, we'd even taken that step back and asked them for dimensions, what can work for longevity, what type of material should we use. So normally most pieces of uh, freestanding units you're getting four weeks out of, where we invested even an extra uh, into the quality of the products. So you knew it would stand the test of time. So how many SKUs did you launch at once? So four SKUs on a massive shipper that was going to last long and was going to stay in that store and it was going to be boom, we're big and we're here. And with the real key messages are three bubbles of low sugar, protein. Okay. What what, what, what did we have in the program at the time? I think there was vitamins. Vitamins, yes. Full multivitamin. And how much was it, the bar at that point? Two euro fifty cents, and so the nearest equivalent that people were buying. So whoever ended up picking up that bar, what would they have bought instead beforehand? There was nothing really. Like this is the first one that goes into Circle K. But like a Snickers, a Snickers, yeah, one twenty five. So we were double the price of anything. Okay, so very quickly after the first year, what were your sales? So thirteen point eight million units, which was purely based on capacity we could only take from the facilities. So, I mean, we. Initially set out running 30,000 bars of each product. And within three months, we were running 300,000 bars of each product on each production run. But I suppose the CapEx wasn't in in Europe to keep up with the demand. But for both myself and Noel, having the FMCG experience and understanding forecasting and longevity, we were the guys where I suppose our biggest competitors would have been people in sports nutrition. And you know, fantastic guys, they, they understand that business model, but they wouldn't be thinking in March about an October volume yeah. where we You're just gonna went need in CapEx. and we just locked down all the lines with real POs. And so I suppose we swallowed up the volume that was available in Europe. But so the capacity in Europe, we basically, we could look into people's order books and say, right, well, look, you only have whatever, 100 million capacity on your line. Show us your order book. 
okay, you're only booked out to here. We'll actually take those slots all the way out for the next 12 months. And we just lock So you were trading in futures almost. You were booking everybody out in terms of all the factories who could make your stuff. Yeah, there was only only three factories around the whole Europe that could actually do what we needed to do. And so as people were looking at our our success, we were kind of going, well, we don't want, we don't Top products yeah. coming in and, and stealing our lunch. So we locked it all down. So we often talk about, you know, the stages of growth of a business. And most of the time, that first, you know, year, two years, 18 months is very slow. And it's in independence and speciality retailers or Whole Foods in the UK or whatever. You guys went mainstream and you went big very, very quickly. You know, how much were you turning over per month in those first few months? Do you remember? Must have been in the hundreds of thousands, right? Oh, easily, uh, easily. Easily, okay. I mean, that's amazing. And had you, did you expect that? We expected we both. We knew something special. And, you know, we were both very fortunate with our backgrounds of working with Enrichment Marketing that, that it was a company that was all about discovering trends and discovering brands that were going to create a new category. So, you know, we were working with Vita Coco back many, many years ago. People laughed, at, you know, Trying to sell coconut water to you know, the Irish. Co- yeah, no, I yeah. mean, it was. Um, we know. launched Hendrix Gin. We launched Peroni. Okay. So, in terms of big launches, right? In terms of execution, and the reason I keep harping on about this is because that one of the whole premises of this podcast is that it's not just about brand purpose or brand promise. You know, it is about getting everything right in terms of the execution, in terms of how you do things, the people that help you, you know, which wheels you use, what you're going to look like in store, which category you're positioned in. You guys had all of that on a checklist and you were making sure it was happening. Absolutely. 100%. That's what we did day That's to what you did day to day beforehand. So we were kind of going through the, the usual kind of thing. And look, as you said, it's not just, yes, you have to have a great brand purpose. It comes back to the four Ps. And, you know, it has to be places, one of them. You yeah. have to be there. But well, there has know, to be a danger being sold. Trend as well. Of course there I does. I mean, there has to be a want from the consumer that they are looking to make either. You're moving into something that it suits them with lifestyle Choices. I've got a question on that. So protein bars, right? Off, you know, I'm thinking of a coffee shop in Black Rock in County Dublin and it's got like a wall of, it's that beautiful one, there's a bear market and it's got that wall of protein bars, right? And it doesn't have any other really type of confectionery other than handmade chocolate bomby stuff. But, you know, you could sit there or you could sit beside Mars or Snickers, right? Yeah. In terms of who buys Fulfill or who bought Fulfill back then, was it more like the CrossFitter or was it the Snickers person who didn't buy Snickers too often because they felt guilty? Yeah, it's uh, like for us, we always had the analogy of, you know, we're within arm's reach of desire where that would be no use. And I'd say whatever does cash register, we're on sale. And we believed even when... So it didn't really matter, did it? To be honest, we definitely tapped into... Our, our belief was that we were bringing an incremental consumer. We were bringing people that abstained away from eating chocolate and bringing them back into the category. And we proved that by the data that we'd seen through um, Topaz's uh, redemptions. And Tesco, we could also look at, you can look at the Dunhumby. Tesco data because Dunhumby, yeah. you can actually see the abstainees we were bringing back into it. So it was proven. Why were they abstaining? Abstaining because they because were... of the sugar content. Okay, so actually the entrance point was sugar, not necessarily, protein. I'm an athlete. No, no, like 14% of all protein bars are only bought by people that, that are looking to get protein. protein. Oh, okay, so tell me that again. So 14%. Only 14%. Yeah, 86% of the bars that are sold in that category are done by people who are looking for healthier option with a bit of chocolate. Oh, okay. That's what I've been looking for for months, that data. That was the aha moment that we had when we were standing on that sand. It was like, this is grand. And 
he'd want a chocolate bar without the guilt. Yeah. And that's really uh, what and, it was. Then. You know, I suppose the more research that we did, the more we got to understand why people were coming into. We didn't have all the answers from the outset, but we knew from our packaging we could appeal to the mainstream, which was absolutely key. But a lot of women were using the product and even from the protein, it was suppressing their appetite. So it was, I suppose... Another role, another functional role. Absolutely. And we always said from the outset to people, eat real food. You know, this is a snack where a lot of people are coming back and saying, oh, I had two bars for my dinner when we do a trade show. No. No, but it's... But it's one you can have that then. Just do that five days a week, but... Um, So let's get back to the phases then. So that first year, I think you said to me in a prep call in the first rolling 12 months or something, you were at 30 million retail sales. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose if that was measured, why I suppose we achieved that was because we looked at all distribution points equal. So I would look at pharmacy for credibility. Um, Premark was just one of the, I suppose, aha moments for us to really meet sitting in front of their board of directors and saying, hey, would you sell a chocolate bar in your store? And I said, this is not going to take away from people buying knickers and bras. It's a fully incremental sale. And we saw, without divulging in the number, but they had, in retail value, a seven-digit figure going through their tilts. And I suppose for us, that will never get measured on Nielsen and it will never get measured. But we found all these other distribution points. Latent sports Latent nutrition, sports nutrition were just instrumental for us um, between online platforms. And we really just, I suppose, said this brand can sell wherever there's a cash register. And um, Because it was multifaceted. It, it kind of it appealed to lots of different people at different times. And that, that's not just for Fulfilled. There's many, many brands out there that sometimes the strategy overtakes the, I suppose, where the vision and the end game is. And sometimes you need to take that step back and not be too protective of your brand because a consumer is a consumer and that need sometimes is in a clothes shop or that need is in a pharmacy or it is in a coffee shop. And that came back from Byron Sharp. That was the one of the seven things there was, 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 was that the kind of mental availability. Physical availability. Yeah, and obviously, if you're in Primark where there's no other chocolate bar, but people are out there to having a nice day or a moment, the girl is having a moment where she's treating herself a little bit. I sure I might as well pick that up as well. It's brilliant because then, in terms of mental availability, there is nothing else to take away from. Absolutely. When we were chatting to them, they said people go in to spend five euro and five minutes, and they spend fifty euro and an hour. And so when they're in that twisty queue, you know, they might have to run back to work or whatever, and they can grab it and go. So that was. That was a great insight. The other thing about that is actually is is that we all make shopping decisions in a frame and the price frame is in Primark is, you know, five to 25 quid. So a fulfill bar at two is really cheap compared to a five quid thing. Whereas if you're in a supermarket and a Snickers is 125 and a fulfill is two, it's a different price frame. So really clever. Yeah, really clever move. What would you say were the big changes that you had to make at the end of that first phase of the business? So you're with, at this stage, you've got your, I mean, Richmond, you're in Richmond Marketing at this stage, aren't you? And we both were in full-time roles. And again, really, really fortunate that we were allowed, I suppose, have the journey of creating a brand and having the safety net of being two senior people in an organization that that was just, I suppose, bang on trend. And, you know, you had that vested interest there right, let's see how this goes. After two months, we just knew that that this is, we've got to put our full-time efforts into this. And I remember we were standing actually 
And we had a really cool display there. We better say what that is. BWC. Oh, sorry, BWG, 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 uh, convenience between Spar, Eurospar, Mace, uh, Londis and Excel. So you're at the trade show. We're at the trade show. We've got a fantastic display. Within two hours, we had taken orders in, which probably was equivalent to both our annual salaries uh, combined. And we said, looked at one another and said, right, we really need to double down on this and put all our focus in. So we were very fortunate again that we had a very smooth exit out of the business. So I've been working, uh, heading up the whole national accounts team at that stage and sitting on the management team. Noel had been heading up the marketing team. So we, over a three-month period, got our positions replaced with I have to say there was a couple of people who had to take my role. Uh, which, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then we just absolutely started into to phase two was looking at the international side of it and export. Okay, so then which market did you tackle first? So 22. 22 <laughs> simultaneously, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 22 markets that year. Yeah, over, we, over again, 12 months. I suppose we've proven the success with Circle K which allowed us then to get into the Scandinavia market with those guys. Australia. No, Australia would have been the following year. Yeah. Middle East, we started the seeding on that. UK, we started some discussions in the UK. Iceland, through a, a good friend of ours, Gary Lavin and Vit Hit. No, Gary, well. Yeah, yeah, Gary had opened the door for us there through Barry Conley, who was our partner in the business, through his connections in Red Bull, opened the door for Benelux through a, a distributor out there. So we had all these balls, everything going together at the same time, which was just mental. So the business is going gangbusters and you're in the tens of millions of sales and it's become international. We're probably midway through 2018 then. Was it when you guys decided to go and do something else, to go and do something different? Yeah. Yeah, we decided. And at that point you were at about, I think the brand was at about 60 million in sales, wasn't it? Yeah, retail sales in 2017, yeah, would have been at 60 million. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. Two and a half years in, yeah, you had built a business that was like, I think, in the top five confectionery brands in Ireland, right? So imagine in the UK what the equivalent size would be. And it was you know, around 60 million in sales. And the Irish market is 19 times smaller than the UK grocery market, right? Mm-hmm. And to add to that, we were in the top 50 brands. Top 50, all brands. All brands, okay. Of all brands. So and to UK say that we were outselling Kellogg's cornflakes was probably one of our proudest moments as a bigger brand in the Irish market after two and a half years. So just an incredible success story. And, you know, the brand, obviously, since you're not involved in it anymore, but it's still a very, it's one of the leaders in the category, isn't it, in Ireland? I don't oh, know. Yeah. Is yeah. it is still in the UK? Yeah, yeah. yeah, still doing extremely well in the UK. Yeah. And all down to the two of you. So well done. As we'd say back home, Bula Boss, which means massive round of applause, applause in Irish. We use it for everything back home. And so then you decided to go and do this all over again, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, tell us about that. We had actually a couple of different ideas. We explored about three different ideas. And this one was kind of jumping out of us because we could see we travel an awful lot with our in our different roles down through the years. And one of the things we noticed was that we would go over to New York for look for trends, but Every time we went to New York, we realized that actually the first time we went to New York, we realized that no trends actually start there. They all go there to get distribution and finance and whatever else. It's a good place to discover them. Most of 
this, the uh, trends are starting on the West Coast, California um, and Portland, Seattle, that kind of place. We noticed that there was two trends that were really, really prominent. One was a mega trend around health and wellness, healthy eating, which obviously we were already two feet into that one. But that had started in the 80s in California. And then the second one was around street food and the kind of foods, uh, foods of the world. And again, this, this had really kind of come to the fore in California because you have all this melting pot of cultures living in a city of 8 million people. The one thing which we noticed was these street food trucks. When you actually went to California in 2014, 15, this street food truck phenomenon, which has really taken over off now in Ireland over COVID, it was already way, yeah, way out there. And it's, it's real proper chefs. And I'm not talking, you know, burger van guys. Proper chefs were actually going, taking over what were burrito vans and decking them out as top-end restaurants on wheels. And a lot of what forced it, the situation because of the rents and the rates that were out there. So I think they just got to the point of saying, am I in the business to make some money or am I in the business to pay this out in, in bills every yeah, month? Yeah. So we, we said, well, what if you could actually bring those two worlds together? So you had the mega trend around, you know, foods the world, street food and healthy eating. And if, if you think about it, like 1980s Unilever umbrella kind of style brands, what if we could actually create a global brand which basically stood for when you saw big orange Cali Cali logo, that it stood for great taste or street food kind of flavors, which you trust, and it was healthy and then had a California cool vibe of it. And wouldn't that be great? Because how many times have you been disappointed when you go into the kind of healthy oil, you pick up a product, try it, and you go, God, that tastes like grass, yeah. not going to eat that. You go to the next one and you've got it. You really need someone to kind of cut through all that and give you a brand that you could trust. So no matter what category of product you go into, you know you're always going to get a great tasting product and it's going to be healthy. And that's where the concept came from. So we said, right, that's a billion dollar idea. If it comes off, it's a long, long, long uh, shot. I, I, I want to give him credit for the name. So Yeah, so we were driving around happens. California and we were listening to the radio and on came Biggie Small singing and going, going back, back to Cali, Cali. And we said, California flavors, California health benefits, Cali, Cali, boom. On to Tompkins. Lock it down. <laughs> Lock it down. All, all, all over the world. And yeah. can I just ask a question? Were you looking for a billion dollar idea? Was that your... Uh, we no. were looking for something that was going to really excite us, that had longevity and had the ability to be an umbrella brand so we could play in a multitude of categories, but we didn't feel like we were out of place. So if you take a step back and you walk into the street food market and you see, you know, artisan style, chocolate bars, right? Well, if we can create something that has clean, full clean deck, vegan, it's gluten-free, right? We can do that with our sauces. Our bottles feel like they come from the street food market. Flavors feel like they come from that. It's a clean deck and they're flavors of the world. With our snacking, within our super snacks range and with our fava beans and our chickpeas, again, you can visualize that in the street food market. So all everything that we we just felt we could play in so many subcategories, but all under one brand. And we actually both excited us massively there. Thomas is reminded, we actually had a room and we created a brand world yeah. of uh, what a street food market would look okay. like. And then what so then our team, our, our visuals, our theming, our products, everything had to look and feel like it was coming from an LA street food market. And if it did that, then it got the a tick. tick. So even down to our bottle 
uh, for our solstice where we've gone with a cap that feels and looks like it's a wooden cap, but it's not a wooden cap. It's one of the Let's talk products and ranges now. So, because you've done a really good job of describing this cross-category play. You said, right, we want to do something. We got. We want the next big thing for us. It has to excite us. It's got to be a cross-category play. It's got to be global and it's got to be something that... Consumer wants. That the consumer wants. And so it's health and wellness, but it's also taste and flavour and, you know, the street food market. Which categories have you decided to go into? And yeah, hold up some products and show us. Oh, yeah. Okay. You so, describe what you're holding as well so that the people listening can hear. So with our sauces, we played in, I suppose we've gone with, with what people resonate with. So peri-peri, people know peri-peri. So for us, we've done a clean deck, tastes great, no additives, no preservatives, no MSGs. And, you know, we've created, we've seen the movement on chicken wings. So we've created our Frisco chicken wing sauce. We've created a Chipotle. And we try to have some of those flavors within our sauces replicated then in our crisps, which are made with chickpeas, green beans, black beans, and rice flour. Hold up the pack yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Okay. This is Cali Cali, everybody, for you haven't seen it yet. Okay. Super. Thank so for, you. So for people who are watching on the, on the YouTube podcast. That's enough podcast, rattling of that crisp packet beside my microphone, please. We, we can, uh, <laughs> we've got a... Uh, really kind of clean so this this is made of chickpea rice flour black beans green beans yellow beans really really healthy and then it's all of our seasoning we create bespoke and it's, so that's it's, probably a big thing to talk about where the difference with our seasoning we're not just buying off the shelf like we created this from genuinely with carry ingredients over an 18 months and we were very fortunate again that you know the carries are dealing with the, the massive multinationals and Tom and Oil, you know, getting the red carpet off them was, was definitely was humbling. humbling yeah. um, and they were just absolutely fantastic from the outset. And, you know, working with their new product development team who have got years of experience. Yeah, and world class. World yeah. class. We did mix this our chef and for this. For us, I suppose, naturally being Irish and is being one of the biggest success stories in Ireland to carry ingredients. It really yeah, it was, it feels natural. Yeah. yeah. But just to come back to the seasoning, just to give you an example, like that's all natural seasoning. So if you have a smoke flavor of that, these guys are at a different level. They've actually bought a company that has can infuse water with a smoky flavor. So it's all natural. So there's, there's nothing in here which is synthetic, synthetically yeah. produced or artificial. And that goes through the whole range, whether it's our sauces mm-hmm. and like, and again, they're all lower in calories, better for you. We're not trying to be sin free. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're fortunate. And again, we do take the credit for it. With Slimming World, we come in sin-free on most of our sauces. Which <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. We, we tell everybody we set that out from the outset. Which yeah, I actually meant S-I-N-free, which is like, oh, rather than yeah. S-Y-N-free, is Slimming World, which is an Irish kind of Weight Watchers Weight equivalent. Watchers. Yeah, and yeah. they their points aren't Weight Watchers points, they're sins and it's S-Y-N. But you are actually S-Y-N-free for most of your products. A lot of God, that's yeah. something else. That's a really great thing to be. So, okay, Absolutely. so so how many ranges are out there right now and what's your run rate? Yeah, so we launched in September 2019. We launched with a range of five sauces and four crisps in imports. We got out of the traps with a, a good start. Which what's was a good great. start? Come on, make us salivate. Well, what I say for distribution, I mean, we would have come out of the traps with around six, 700 distribution points in September. Um, a run rate around... 200k a month a month yeah and this is all in Ireland right this oh, yeah. is only in Ireland yeah so that, that was September and 
everything was going swimmingly well. And then Locked we in. hit March. So March came along. We had, we had, we had, a, well, we'd forecasted naturally, which, you know, is, is part of our model. So you're forecasting out 16 weeks at any given time. You're holding 12 weeks stock at any given time. And you're using a heart and vein strategy that you've got predominantly an over-reliance on imports and forecourts. And come the 20th of March, um, we had a warehouse. 2020, we had no consumers that were able to shop in them. And we had a warehouse of product with a fantastic run rate for those six months. And we'd spent heavily on marketing to, to, to really try to drive our awareness. And, you know, it was a shaky moment that all of us, you know, said, right, look, we need to refocus. We need to take a deep breath here and we need to see where we're going. And we didn't figure that out after a week. It took us probably a good month to get our heads around where we were going. But we knew we had a problem and a problem which I suppose if we weren't as uh, long in the tooth and yeah. around the block. Of them, we, yeah. we had good dates with 12 months on our crisps, which is... You know, it's better than twenty-one days in yogurts. Let's put it that way. Exactly. Absolutely. So that so we worked our way through that that issue. But I suppose it, it's worth talking about how we worked our way yeah. through it, and, and that was, as I said, a really it showed that that both of us could be truly rounded entrepreneurs, uh, and you know where we brought back the basics. We were both, I suppose, doing extremely well from from our exit from fulfilled, and you know. But that, that meant nothing. It was about succeeding and ensuring this brand could navigate its way through. So, Niall, what did you do then? Tell us what you actually had to do. We hired a van, and a couple of vans, and we ended up selling to ice cream vans in parks where people were, were flocking to. We pop-up restaurants. Pop-up restaurants. We repositioned with seeing a lot of people putting the green jersey on and shopping local. So we started then to hunt down every single butchers in the country. We knew people, their habits were changing and they had, they became, I suppose, time rich and cash poor and they were cooking from home. So we said, if we can get ourselves into three or 400 new distribution points where the consumer is going and thankfully we we did it and and we got through. So, no, and at the same time, what we did was we basically, we did a deal with, with the Boyne Valley Group as well to basically, because what we realized was there was a bigger opportunity for us actually because we had a great tasting product, even with the with COVID and, and, and whatnot, we could see the product is like real resilience and real legs. Um, so great taste. And then we also had uh, lots of opportunities coming at us and, and we were saying, right, how do we actually boil these down and what are the ones we should focus on? And we were looking at potentially taking in EIS, which is the same as EIS in the UK. But we were thinking going to have to put all of that into people and building out a team to basically do front, middle and back office kind of uh, functions. And we decided that the best way actually to go in with the strategic partner who actually had all of these actually built in. So we actually pulled together and we've done a deal with the Boyne Valley who were a huge Irish business. They'd be a bit like Premier Foods, wouldn't they, in the UK? Very similar, very similar, yeah. Except nicer, much nicer. The genuine yard Really, really nice people. Yeah. Um, so culturally, we've gone on like a house on fire with, with the CEO initially and then the rest of the team. And we've done a deal with them. And then off the back of that, um, we're now looking at going into, God, I think five strategic markets and a, a load of other trading markets. And we've launched three new new products. Uh, so, so we've launched our Cali Cali Superbars, 
hopefully you can see on, on screen there. I've got these super snacks, which are amazing. What are the snacks? So these are roasted chickpeas, baba beans, and coming in at roughly around 100 calories. Can I just say that I haven't actually received a box of any of these samples yet? Well, we'll it's, get them to you now. The DPD, <laughs> we'll give it out about DPD. It's their fault. <laughs> we will have it over within the next week. That is good. What we've done here with these super snacks is actually we've taken our flavours that we've developed with Perry and Grease and we're using them on these snacks. So honestly, these, these are... You know, when you have that moment where you had your first, I don't know, for me, it was the first Red Bull, the first Copper Bird, whatever, and it stops you in your tracks and you turn around to your friend, you, you got to try this. Okay. That's the same moment you're going to have when you try these for the first time when you get them. Cannot wait to try them. We've got all these products coming out. What kind of run rate are you doing? Now, I just want to make people salivate here because I've got all these fabulous scaling brands listening to this. And I want to show them what's possible if you do it a certain so, way. I suppose from launching from concept to getting on the shelves in September 2019 to the end of 2020, we would have had 3 million plus retail. This year, we're aiming and we're tracking at a minimum 10 million. 10 million in your first full year, you know, so like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proper with all all your kind of ducks in a row. Okay. And your vision for the end of year three? 50. 50 million. And that's in Europe. And that's some of the distribution partners we will be lining up with that is agreed at this stage now. Okay. But I suppose for us, we can't run too fast from a production side of it. We've got to have all our manufacturers lined up. We could be trading in Germany as of now. We could be trading in Canada as of now. We could be trading in Australia as of now. But we're just not in a position today until we have every manufacturer, I suppose, fully aligned with, with our growth plans. And that 50 million, what percentage of sales will Ireland be in that 50 million? 15. Only 15%. Only 15. You're such the sales guy. You're just that (laughs) man. You are so on the numbers, aren't you? You are all over the numbers. I remember at the beginning of this when you said, and in that first year we'd sold 30.8 something other. I'm thinking he even remembers in 2016 what the exact point decimal point Imagine was. Imagine him trying to get some marketing spent through me. It's just not <laughs> happening. It's all about the budget is the Bible. You've is got it? to follow it. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. But people listening to this, you know, this is the kind of guy you need running your commercial team. If You know, this is the brief. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So pretty big stuff. Pretty big stuff. You have decided to go with another partner this time. You haven't just gone it alone, right? Two guys and built your team, which you said in an earlier call would have taken you maybe two million to build the front, the back and the middle office. What has been really important for you in terms of getting into bed with Boyne Valley? What are the things that you've learned? And, you know, we're not looking backwards in any particular situation, but what things have you tried to do differently this time? I suppose it's important that there's a balance in your life. And if you've got a family, you've got to ensure that you're keeping them on the journey and you've got that bit of time that you're doubling down and focusing them because you will burn yourself out. Mm-hmm. You've got to realize that if you want the whole grape, you know, the chances of it happening is, you know, the odds are massively stacked against you. So if you'd like a big piece of the melon, it's definitely having that partner that has the proven success of having the back and middle office that's going to ensure you can just plug and play into their model. For me personally, that was absolutely the... Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's key. As, as yeah. Tom said, you're better off having a big slice of the, of the melon than all, all, of a, all of a little grape. And I think I think we learned that on our last stream. We also take a lot of cues from tech industry and how people actually 
scale in, in that and we're looking at that and saying, right, well, that's how they do it over there. Maybe there's something we can learn over here. And um, actually listen to podcasts like yours. That particular quote was actually from Jaws Brook. <laughs> and that actually, oh, genuinely, that yeah, influenced yeah. us. And, you know, you know, you listen, you go, yeah, he's, he's got a point, you know. Yeah. You know, listen to, have my, I speak to, we speak to Joel, so we know him well from our Vida Coco days, actually. Okay. And, you know, he's, he's some, listen to these guys in the industry and take, you know, if they've gone and done it before, maybe there's something you can learn from them, you know. What so, about partnership-wise, though? I mean, you know, what do you do to make sure that you stay friends, that everything continues to go well in the future? How do you, what do you look out for? Because there'll be lots of people thinking about this, you know, I don't want to get into bed with somebody else. I mean, you know, what do you have to look out for? Yeah, I, I suppose it's peeling it, I suppose, back to if you want to be a big brand, you've got to act like a big brand and you've got to spend like a big brand. And you really have to get your head around that if you're not willing to do that, you're going to be standing in an arts and store on a Saturday with a white hat in your head sampling. And of course, there is that one in a million, the same as one in a fo- million footballers that make it. Um, but yeah, the, the, I suppose the question, Fiona, um, yes, you've got to be very clear from the outset of what the vision is that both parties are there. You've got to have a very, very clear shareholders agreements and within that shareholders agreement of course you've got to protect yourself and you can't get into bed with someone today and unfortunately get hit by a bus tomorrow and someone else who steps into their position would have a different outlook on that deal so shareholders agreements are really important and they're expensive but they're absolutely worth their weight in gold and it gives you the comfort of being able to go to bed and sleep at night but i suppose you do have to see the history of the partner that you're getting into bed with and seeing the appetite of or the proven success they've done with other brands. So are they smart money or are they? Yeah. You want, yeah. To, you want to bring in smart money that's going to help you to grow rather than just doctor and dentist money that's just going to sit there and not actually add an awful lot of value beyond the actual dollars and cents. You know? Listen, I could talk to you guys for days and weeks. I feel like there's so much to learn, you know, and one of the things I've been sitting here thinking for the last kind of four or five minutes is it's almost when you're talking about the plug in and play, it almost feels crazy when I'm thinking about, you know, the size of the startup industry in the UK and food and beverage. And I'd be getting to know a lot of them through the course I run, the growth strategy program and stuff. And you think, God, why aren't more people doing this, what you're doing? Why are so many people trying to do it alone? It's as if we don't even necessarily consider that this is an option. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you guys and I, having worked in big companies and you know just how complicated it is to get a product onto shelf and make it sell. And, you know, the top of the iceberg is the sales and marketing, really, you know, whether it's the accounting and the delivery and the finance and the ops and the cash flow. When you think about it, you think, why is everybody trying to be experts in all of these things? And that's, yeah, it's, and, and you know, when I suppose we took this step back last April, May, and we'd, we'd genuinely we'd start the process on EIS and the interest was absolutely insane. And probably based on both our histories that, you know, we were a safer bet for the money. And we just took that moment and said, right, based on the budget here, we're putting someone into supply chain, which is really only going to be working 15, 20 hours a week. Based on our current room rates, we put somebody else into another role, another role, we didn't need these people at the at fully. That stage fully. And it even just makes, to, to, it just makes sense. That's, that's what it did, down, you know? And I'm supposed to add to it, you know, even to build a team out for two years, it's not your area of expertise. So 
you're still going to need to find someone that's going to manage them people on top of that. And you just have to take that step back and say to yourself, well, am I going to be more productive? Can I put my energies? Do I want to achieve the end goal faster? And sometimes the, the opportunity do pass you if you don't jump on the wave early. So I think the thing that we're probably pretty good at is realizing what we're good at and what we're maybe average at. Yeah. I don't think we're... I don't think it's anything we're necessarily bad, bad at. We, we kind of muddle our way through most things. But the, the areas we're really, I think, strong in is marketing, export. We can add an awful lot, a lot of value there and new product development. And they're the three areas that we 100% control and still control because they're the areas that we and, and our new partners have agreed that that's where we're going to add the most value. And I think maybe when listening to you, they're talking about maybe that's a kind of key point to get across to your listeners, maybe... What are you really world class at? And maybe focus on that rather than just trying to be the jack of all trades and maybe bring in a partner who can actually be good at those other things that you're maybe not as world class at. Well, listen, I think on that note, we're going to wrap up because I've kept you for so long. But I honestly think that I feel kind of almost this wow moment here where there's a potentially another way out there for lots of companies hopefully listening to this who might even even if they just considered it or played with it for a while it's worth considering that there is another way to do this guys and yes. Fiona can I, the last thing I, I add to it is when we did launch in September 2019 our distributor that we went within the Irish market took a small stake in our company so I suppose when you want someone that's there in the trenches with you these guys have a vested interest. So sometimes people have to realize with distributors that, that, you know, they're absolutely fantastic at what they do. But, you know, for us to change their mindset about being involved with the brands, they never done for 20, 20, 30 30 years. years. And it was probably the most exciting journey them guys had for their 12th. So having skin in the game changes their, their mindset, your mindset completely. So there's, as we're thinking points, there's multiple ways of skin skin and hat. Yeah, yeah. Depend on your stage of development. You guys are amazing. You really are. And I'm so glad we've got the chance to meet. I'm going to, you know, watch with like enormous interest and passion your journey with Cali Cali Foods. I'll put all the links to your Instagram and your website on Brilliant. the podcast amazing. episode links. Thank you so much for giving me all this time today and for doing the PCR test and getting the home studio set up. Really appreciate it. <laughs> no um, problem. Brilliant. Thank Not you so problem. much, guys. Thanks, Fiona. Appreciate it. Cheers.